0: This is really my favorite part of the Christmas story, and I'll tell you why. Because there's one little verse tucked into this story that is such a wonderful picture of the gospel. This story to me presents so clearly what Jesus came to do, and that's to rescue his people from sin and give them peace with God. And I love this part of the Christmas story, and I hope that after I get finish sharing with you why I love it so much that maybe, Sherry, you'll change your mind and this will become your favorite part of the... I'm, I know. Anyway. anyway, this is my favorite scene. You'll uh, find it in Luke chapter 2. We're just going to read uh, about 7 verses, 8-14. through 14. And it's the scene in the Christmas story where the angels appear to a group of shepherds to announce the birth of Christ. And it is, I think, the scene that takes us right to the heart of the Christmas story... And the heart of the Christmas story is the gospel. The heart of every story in the word of God is the gospel, especially this story. And the gospel is the good news that is that Jesus Christ has come to bring peace between God and man. How many of you know that if, if you don't have Jesus reigning and ruling in your heart, you're at war with God? And that's a war you're not going to win. You want God as your enemy? Reject Jesus. You want God as your friend? Embrace Jesus. No Jesus, no peace, they say, right? No Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, K-N-O-W, Jesus. No peace, K-N-O-W, peace. Let's, Let's read this passage of Scripture. We'll get right into it. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. I just went into the King James, just just like that, because I've heard it so often. Let me back up. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you good news, good news, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Let's bow our heads and pray for just a moment. We'll get into it. Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you for the tremendous opportunity, the privilege that you've given us to be here together in your presence. Thank you for your word and the story that brings such life and light to our hearts. And I pray today, God, that you would get me out of your way and just just use me as a tool today. Let me be your microphone today. Speak to the hearts of this group of people today through me. But Lord, don't let it come from my heart. Let it come from your heart. Glorify yourself in this room. Glorify yourself among this group of people. Help us to see Jesus exalted to the highest place. You said that if we were to lift you up, that you would draw all men to yourself. Well, Lord, that's our desire today. We want to lift the name of Jesus higher and higher and higher so that all men women, children will be drawn to Him and fall in love with Him and make a decision to serve Him and obey Him every day of their life. Glorify Yourself in this room today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. So in verse 11, we're given this birth announcement, this Good news, excuse me, in verse 10, we're given this birth announcement, this good news that is going to bring joy to the hearts of all people. And I want you to know that this Greek word that's translated good news is literally the same word we use when we say gospel. The gospel is good news. The Greek word is evangelion. I didn't say that right. John's not here to correct me, so I'm going to keep going as if I'm okay. Evangelion. It means good gospel, which literally means the good news. So the angel literally says in verse 10, to those shepherds, I bring you the gospel. Mm. They were the first ones to hear the good news that Christ had come. And I think it's really important before we get into this message today, I think it's really important for us to notice that the very first ones to hear the good news of Christ's birth is a group of shepherds. What is that? Big deal. They're just shepherds. You need to know this. In first century Palestine, shepherds stood on the lowest rung of the social ladder. In first century Palestine, shepherds shared the same unpleasant status as tax collectors and dung sweepers. They were nobodies. They had a reputation of being immoral and irreligious, and liars, and thieves. Rabbis, and this is, you can go back to the rabbinical teachings and writings of the day, rabbis, the Jewish religious leaders, considered shepherds, shepherds to be habitual sinners. They were incapable. It, it was incapable of them being made right with God. They were habitually sinning against God. Nobody liked these shepherds very much. I mean, after all, they smelled like sheep, right? And nobody trusted them at all. They weren't even permitted to testify in court. No one trusted their testimony. Nobody wanted to be around them. But I I think it's important that we understand this. God chose those lowly shepherds to be the very first witnesses to the Savior's birth, to the gospel message that the angels had. Because you know why? you know why this is important to me and this is why I want you to get this? That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel. It's the very nature of the gospel. God chooses shepherds and people like those shepherds. Those whom others would consider to be the worst kinds of people. God chooses people like you and me to be the first to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. He comes to people like these shepherds. I don't know about you, I consider myself to be on that lower rung of that social ladder. Ain't nothing about me that commends me to anybody. I am who I am, and yet God has chosen to share his good news with me and with people like you and with other people like these lowly... Sh- That's an important part of the gospel message. He doesn't come to the religious. He doesn't come to the people that have it all together. He doesn't come to the people with the great reputations. He comes to people like you and me and says, here's the good news. <laughs> that makes me feel pretty good. Because I'm one of those people that would have been left out. If society had had its way. All right, now that's just the beginning. That's a free... Dude, I get get pumped up about that. All right, so let's talk about this birth announcement given by the angel to these shepherds. And let's talk about why that's such good news. Find it in verse 11. I think I made a typo this morning under everything. I think I may have put verse 10. Go on to the next verse or slide. Yeah, verse 10. Verse 11. My mistake, sorry. I want us to unpack this birth announcement because this birth announcement in verse 11, I think clearly expresses the gospel. And there are some of you in this room this morning who you feel like you're on the outside looking in, like the gospel's intended for everybody else but you. But I want you to understand this morning, as we get started, the gospel is for you. No matter what your view of yourself is, or no matter what anybody else has to say about you, you need to understand this gospel message is for you, and this is the gospel message found in verse 11. This announcement is so important. So important. First, it's important because it was a real day. It was a real day. Today, in the town of David. We need to understand this. This is real history. It happened on a real day in history. This isn't a fictional account this isn't a story made up this doesn't come from the mind of some man this is a real day in history Luke 2 as a matter of fact if you go to the, the first verse first couple of verses Luke 2 tells us it was a day when Caesar Augustus was the Roman Emperor and Quirinius was the governor of Syria it happened in a real day in history it was a real day planned by God it was it was God had waited the perfect day, the perfect moment to bring His Son into the world to save the world, and this day was the day. It reminds me of something else that was said later in the New Testament. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. And for some of you, this may be the day. Today. A real day in human history. A real day in your history which will turn your life around. But God waited for the perfect day to bring His Son into into the world. Galatians 4.4 4 says this, but when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman. I think it's important we realize this happened on a real day, the right day, the perfect day, just as God had planned it before the foundations of the world. Second, it happened in a real town. It happened in a real town. Today, in the town of David, The town of David is a real place on the world map. It's not a map of Middle Earth. It's not a map of Narnia. It's not an imaginary place like Atlantis or Isengard. Bethlehem is a real town on a real world map. The name of the town is Bethlehem. Bethlehem is just six miles south of Jerusalem. If you know anything about Bethlehem, you're going to know this. It's King David's hometown. And King David at one point had been a shepherd who tended sheep in these same hills where these shepherds were tending their sheep. Bethlehem is a town that Micah prophesied would become the birthplace for the Messiah. In Matthew 5, verse 2, Micah prophesies and says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Bethlehem is a real town, just like Kalira is a real town, just like Alabaster and Montevallo are real towns. Bethlehem is a real town. The birth... This this is where I'm headed with this, because you've got to understand it. This isn't a child's fairy tale. This isn't mythology. This is not a legend passed down through time. This is an actual historical event that happened in a real place to real people at a real and specific time. This isn't a figment of imagination. It's an actual historical event. And in this event, God inserts Himself into our world history so that He can bring peace to you and to me and to God. Oh, we, we got to get this, y'all. There are too many people walking around thinking somehow that the Bible is just a compilation of fairy tales. No, it's not. It's the story of God's relentless pursuit to bring mankind back into relationship with Him. And this is the hinge upon which everything swings. Amen. The incarnation of Christ Jesus into the world. Everything changed at this moment just like everything can change in one moment in your life. Third, the baby is the Savior. The baby born in that stable, lying in that manger, to those real people in that real town, that baby is the Savior. If you've ever sinned against God, like I have, and if you have ever known the guilt that comes from it, and the shame that often follows from your sin, then you know how much you need a Savior. God sent that baby to be our Savior. The angel told Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins, I think it's really important here, and I want you to—I want you to see this. I want you to notice this. I think it's important to see here that Jesus came in this first advent as our Savior, not our Judge. Oh, He's coming again in the second advent to be the Judge, but He came in His first advent to be our Savior. John three seventeen says this. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. You see, this baby came to save us, not condemn us. Jesus comes as our only hope for forgiveness. He's our only hope for salvation. He's the only way we can be reconciled to the Father. Acts 4.12 says salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He's the Savior. No one else can bring you to the Father and make things right. You can't even do it yourself. You're not good enough. You're not strong enough. Not wise enough. But there is One who has paid the price for you. He has paid the penalty for your sin. And He offers to you forgiveness. Forgiveness. That He's purchased for you on that cross. He's your Savior. He's your Savior. And the only One who can bring you the forgiveness that you're looking for this morning. If you need it. Fourth, this baby is the Messiah. Now that's a loaded word. We could spend the rest of our lives studying the scriptures and what the scriptures have to say about the Messiah who was to come. But this angel, the gospel message, proclaims to us that this baby is the Messiah, he's the anointed one of God. He's the one that God had promised would sit on the throne of David forever. He's the one that God had promised that, who would deliver God's people from all of their enemies. This baby is the one that God had promised would be a channel of blessing to the whole world. This is the Messiah. The Old Testament abounds in hints and clues and prophecies about this Messiah. But now to these shepherds, The angel announces the Messiah has come. The Messiah has come. The hope of the nations, the one through whom God would bless the entire world, is finally here. Luke 4 tells us that after Jesus was baptized by John and after he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness, that Jesus went back to Nazareth where he had grown up. And it was in Nazareth that Jesus begins his public ministry. I love the story. I can only imagine how the people responded to Jesus entering the synagogue that day. When they handed him the scrolls, as they often did, it happened to be the scroll of Isaiah, and I don't think that was any accident. Jesus took the scroll, it says, as he often did, and he looked and found. He knew what he was doing. He wasn't doing this. This is what I'll read. No, 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 no. (laughs) That's the way we do our devotions, isn't it? That's not what Jesus did. He went straight to the verse to this passage of Scripture. And I want you to, this is something you could go home, and I wish you would, and meditate on it, because this is who the Messiah is. This is who Jesus came to be. Jesus entered the synagogue. They handed him a scroll containing the book of Isaiah, and Luke chapter 4 says that unrolling it, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. I love this sentence. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. You do realize the Messiah is in this room right now, right? You do realize that the one who can take the blinders off your eyes and unstop your ears so that you can hear and see God, he's in this room right now. The Messiah is here. The one who can open up the prison doors of that resentment that has wrapped its nasty bonds around you, he's here to set you free. He's here to satisfy your soul. He is here to liberate your heart. He is here. The Messiah has come. His name is Jesus He showed up, and they knew exactly what he was talking about. I mean, when he got finished reading that passage of Scripture, they knew what he was telling them. He was saying to them, and I believe he's saying to some of you this morning, the Messiah is here to set you free, to heal your hearts, to take away the pains of your past, and to, to bring you into the place of promise that God has made possible for you. I'm telling you, the Messiah is here. And we see that Jesus spends the next three years fulfilling every messianic promise made by God. All 353 promises according to one source. Jesus is the one anointed by God who has come to fulfill all the hopes and all the dreams of His people. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. 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 Yes, you can be healed. Yes, you can be set free. Yes, you can live a life of liberty and hope and joy. Yes, it's yours through this Messiah. All of the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ. He's the Messiah. Fifth, this announcement lets us know that this baby is Lord. This baby is Lord. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. That's another loaded word, packed with meaning. This baby that the shepherds would find lying in that manger was God himself, with all the power and all the authority in heaven and on earth. You know, Augustus Caesar might have been the emperor in Rome, but the baby in Bethlehem is the lord of all, even Caesar. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus is the one before whom all other powers bow. Philippians 2.10 says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Augustus might have been the emperor of Rome. The baby, the Christ child, is the Lord of all the emperor in rome might be able to issue a decree that all in his empire would be taxed and even joseph and mary were made to comply to follow caesar's decree but listen to me listen this is really important you get this one day one day the baby would issue a decree of his own and that decree would echo down through eternity all who obey his decree would be forgiven and enjoy friendship with God forever. Listen to what His decree is. John chapter 5, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. Now that's, that's a decree I want to hear and I want to obey. The King of Kings has spoken. And what He says is if you will listen to His message and if you will trust in God, believe in God, He who sent me, you'll have eternal life. But it's this next part of the birth announcement that means the world to me. I mean, it just, it means the world to me. It's, this part of the birth announcement seems so strange. And it seems at the same time so wonderful. And to me, it's the best part of all the sixth part of this message, this gospel message the angel brings is that the baby is to you. The baby is to you and to me and to people like you and me. It says, today in the town of David, a savior, the one who can forgive our guilt, has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the one that can fulfill all of your dreams. He is the Lord. He's your king who can can protect you and watch over you. He has been born to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I would expect a birth announcement to say that the baby was born to Mary. Or the baby was born to Joseph and Mary. But no, 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 that baby was born to you. To you. Born to you and to me. And people like these lowly shepherds who first heard this Birth announcement, born to people who have no right or reason to expect anything from God. Born to people who have done nothing to deserve His gift or earn His favor. Born to people like you and me who feel estranged from God, who feel separated from Him because of their backgrounds and status and lifestyles. This baby has been born to you and to me. Do you get the implications of that? It means that everyone... Everyone has a chance. Acts 4.12 says, Everyone who calls on the name of this baby, the Lord, will be saved. It's not a promise to the religious, to the rich, to the powerful. It's a promise to people like those shepherds who first heard the news, who had no merit, they've not earned the favor of God, people like you and me. Everyone. I mean, that's, this is the essence of the gospel. This one announcement gives us the essence of the gospel. And the essence of the gospel is this. Jesus is a gift of God's grace to people like you and me. People like you and me who have sinned against God and need a Savior to take away our guilt. A gift of God's grace to people like you and me who need a Messiah to fulfill our hopes and satisfy our souls. A gift of God's grace to people like you and me who need a Lord, we need a King to defeat all of our enemies and keep us safe and secure forever. This baby is born to people like you and me. I love this scene in the Nativity story. I love this scene where the angels appear to the shepherds because it tells me the gospel. It tells me the gospel. It helps me see that God loves people like you and me so much that he hears the cries of our hearts and he sees how desperate we are in our need and he comes to our rescue. He inserts himself into our personal histories to turn our lives upside down and make them right again. He sent Jesus, his son, to be our savior. He sent Jesus, His Son, to be our Messiah, to be our Lord, not because of who we are, but because of who He is. Not because of any great worth or merit on our part, but because of His infinite worth as the God of love and justice. That's why He comes, and that's why He does what He does. It leaves me asking myself a couple of questions, though. I'm like a little kid. What's the first question... Writer wants to ask, when he's been told something, why? Why? I don't know about you, I want to know why. Why? Why would God send his son to be born of a virgin, to be raised as a human being, to be brought up in the suffering and the pain of this world, and then to go to a cross after having lived a sinless life, and unjustly killed. Why would he do that? Why? I've got to ask myself, why? Why? Why the angels sing us the message? Why? The angels in their song give us the reasons why God is willing to do this for us. Two reasons. Reason number one, and it's always reason number one why God does anything, he does it for his glory. He does it for his glory. Whatever God does, he does it for his glory. Verses 13 and 14 say, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, what? Glory to God in the highest. God sent Jesus so that he might receive glory. And we, as we follow the rest of the story, we see that through the life and death, of Jesus and His resurrection and ascension, that Jesus will glorify God and all of God's attributes. Jesus will live and die and be raised again in such a way that that it will bring glory to God. God's justice, God's holiness, God's mercy, God's wisdom, God's love, they will never be seen more clearly than in the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God came to show us how gloriously, how gloriously wonderful God is. You want to know God? You want to know who God is? You want to know why God does what He does? You look at Jesus and He will show you. He will show you. 2 Corinthians 4.6, I love this little verse. It says, For God who said, Let there be light in the darkness, has made His light shine in our hearts so we could what? Know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus to reveal to us his glory, his holiness, his justice, his love, his kindness, his power. The second reason, and this is where it gets personal. The second reason is God sent Jesus to us so we could have peace. I don't know about you right now. I think that's the greatest need on this planet is peace. I know so few people who are at peace with themselves. They're always in a struggle, an internal struggle of some kind. They do what they don't want to do. They don't do what they... You get me? You feel me on that? I know very few people who are comfortable in their own skin. Who, when they lay their head down at night, can go to sleep, resting in the knowledge that everything's good. I know very few people who are living at peace with the other people in their life. They're in a constant struggle. Constant battle. Arguments and division, dissension, conflict everywhere. I know very few people who are living at peace in their homes and on their jobs and in their communities. Do you know why there's so much conflict in our own hearts and with the people around us? Because we haven't come to peace with God. If we can ever find peace with God, we will then find peace within our own hearts and peace with others. As the Prince of Peace takes up residence in our hearts and He rules and reigns in our lives, the peace begins to radiate from us. God sent Jesus to us so we could have peace. It's a peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that Jesus purchased for us with his own blood. Colossians 1.20 speaks of it when it says, and through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. That means God made everything right. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Jesus came to bring us peace with God. And I love the way Charles Spurgeon wraps it up. He says this. He says, The swaddling band with which Jesus was wrapped up was the white flag of peace and that manger where the place was the place where the treaty was signed the treaty between god and man that ended the warfare you don't have to be a rebel anymore you don't have to be counted among the enemies of god anymore jesus blood Jesus' blood paid the price to set you free from any penalty that you might ought to have paid for what you've done, the kind of person you've been, Christ paid that price for you. And his name is written at the bottom of that treaty. And it says, paid in full, where at war no more with God. By dying for the sins of man, Christ has put away that which is the source of conflict between us. And once we're reconciled with God, God makes it possible for us to live at peace, not only with God, but with ourselves and with others. I don't know. I love the story. I love this part of the story, but I love this part of the story so much because I love the gospel. And I know, I know what this gospel has meant to my own life. I know the change that's come in my life because I've taken this gospel message to heart and I've embraced it. And I try to live my life by it. And I think what it's done for me, it will do for you and to all those who will hear this message and respond to this message. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Chris, if you come back. The angel song, for just, just a minute, I want you to think about this. I don't believe there's a person in this room that doesn't want to be at peace with God. I don't believe there's a person in this room that doesn't want to be at peace with themselves and at peace with other people. I believe that's something we all want. We just don't know how to get there. We get there by trusting the gospel message. We get there by turning our lives over to God, by surrendering to God, by acknowledging our need for a Savior and a Messiah and a Lord. If you're asking yourself the question this morning how do I receive peace with God so that I can be at peace with myself and with others how can I receive peace with God I know that Jesus died to make it available what do I need to do What do I need to do to sign my name to that treaty and live at peace with God? The angel sang on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, this peace isn't extended to everyone. This peace is only extended to those upon whom God's favor rests. Well, How do you find favor with God, Mark? How do you find favor with God? I've got such a heavy baggage of bad deeds and stupid mistakes. How? How? Hebrews 6.11 tells us how we can find favor with God. Hebrews 6.11 says this, but without faith it's impossible to please Him. The way to find favor with God is simply to take Him at His word Trust Him. Put your life in His hands and obey Him. Do you believe that Jesus came to be your Savior? To die in your place? Do you have the faith to trust Him? Then drop that bag of guilt and shame right where you stand. And come to Jesus. You have faith to follow Jesus as your Messiah, as the only one who can lead you into that promised land, promised by God, the only one who can satisfy the need of your soul. And stop listening to the voice of the world and listen to the one who came from God to speak truth and life into your life, into your heart. That's the kind of faith that pleases God. Obey him as Lord. He's come to be Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Obey him as Lord. Follow him as your king.